Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. As people settle down, it's always good to start with um, the disclaimers. Uh, If I get into a fit of coughing, it's just something that seems to be ailing me at the time, this moment, so um, do forgive, I will take some water, get back on track. Um, and also, we just want to kind of like identify that this is kind of a unique opportunity um, that I have, really, to kind of speak to, to my church. Um, so, um, ordinarily, when, I, you know, when I'm called upon to, to kind of take the... the the pulpit is, you know, ordinarily just to kind of continue the, the, the process of good teaching. But today, like I said, it's been by, as it were, special commission that we kind of address some of the issues uh, that we personally as CCSL need to kind of face. And um, it is with that mandate why I'm here before you. So if this is, this is, so this is I guess, by way more of a talk to encourage us as members and us as part of the body of Christ, wherever that might be, if you are a believer, to, to kind of reassess where we are with the Lord. And, uh, but this is not without a vision to those who do not yet believe or you are here today as a visitor and um, you are hoping to come to an understanding of the Lord. So there is, there is something in it for everybody. But I think it's important to kind of get that out there, that there is, there is somewhat of an agenda to try and make sure that the church has an understanding of what our commitment is to the body of Christ. I kind of want to start with by way of an illustration that hopefully um, I will lead back into. You know, so it's all just, hopefully, just to kind of get us warmed up to the idea of where I might actually be going with this in the end. Um, and, you know, as always by chance, I was originally supposed to teach last week, but then it kind of rolled over. But, you know, you never kind of worry about those things because things seem to come together. And so there were certain events this week that kind of helped clarify what, exactly what it is I believe God would have said to us right now, or will say to us right now. And, um, you know, so reading Malachi 1 um, yesterday, again, was one of those kind of um, moments where it kind of said, wow, this is the same message, but from a different context. Um, And also, um, just by chance of watching a TV program, again, I see a similar issue in the world in that sense, asking similar questions about how to actually get involved. So, Anyway, the TV program was Fargo, and um, to kind of give a brief description of, the, of, of, of what this TV show is about, it's, it's basically a very bleak world, um, I believe set in Minnesota, where um, basically you have two, detect- uh, two, two cops who are trying to do the right thing in a town where basically everybody pretty much does whatever they want. Murder is rife and all the rest of it. So one of the cops is sitting at a, a dining table and talking to one of these kind of bleak, pessimistic characters who basically um, 
decides to tell him not a story, but particularly he wants to tell him a parable and tells the cop to keep quiet. And so he tells this parable about a man who was wealthy while sitting at his dinner table decides to go through the paper and just see what was going on in the world. When he sees what's going on in the world, he says, wow, I've got to do something. I cannot allow this to go on. Let me give my money into this situation so that I can actually make some remedy. So he gives all of his money and um, he, he, he gives it willingly and then he looks at the paper again and he looks and he says, wow, there is still so much that needs to be done in the world. And so he decides that now I'm going to give one of my kidneys. I'm going to give one of my kidneys so that someone else might actually have a better life or might have a chance at life. And so he goes to the hospital, donates a kidney, and he comes back, recovers obviously, and now he's at another situation where he's at the table again, reading the paper, and he realizes that there is still more suffering. So the man pauses and he says, I know what I need to do. I need to give everything. So he returns to the hospital, having given his money, having given his kidney, and he approaches one of the doctors and he says, I want you to take everything, every part of my body, and give it to somebody so that they will have a chance to live. And then he concludes this parable by saying, he stood at the graveside of the man who had given everything. And there it was on his epitaph, the man who had given everything. So the cop looks up and kind of gets the idea of where this guy is going, and he looks at him and says, but we got to try, right? But we got to try. The pessimistic man obviously looks at him and says, you haven't got what I'm telling you. The way people are is the way people are. Not much has changed. That man hasn't changed the world. People are still dying because of lack of parts that are failing in their own body. People still suffering in poverty. But hence why the church needs to occupy such a, a huge position within the society today which wants to diminish its responsibility. The text I have opportunity to teach today uh, wasn't my first choice, but it is a text that I constantly use to demonstrate the point and the illustration I said right at the beginning. The state of the world today. Why are we here? So I want to do a couple of first things that I think that will hopefully get you more involved in what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to talk about. And our text, if you can turn to it, is in Genesis 4.
We're going to just read um, verses 1 to 9, um, but I want you to kind of bear with me. There is something, um, as long as I, you know, I, I've had a, a real desire to teach this text for a very long time, and uh, I've never known how I would approach it, but um, one of the things I, I would like to see us do as a church is do something that the old Israelites did. And I, I, I would like us to stand as I read this to you. The significance of this is that there is, when the reading of the word came to Israel, it stood like a verdict over their lives. You know, like when a man walks into a court and everybody rises or he rises to hear the judges and the jury's verdict over their life. And that's what like word of God is like. It is the verdict of God over our lives. In other words, believe this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain bought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also bought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was, was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Father, even as we, 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 we pause at this portion of the text, dear Lord, and, I, and, and, and your people stand under your word, under my voice, dear Lord God, we pray that you will speak into our lives as a church, as a believing community, that we might understand why Genesis 4 has been placed in your word so that we might read it today. For all the ages, dear Lord God, that have passed all the wars and all the, 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 the times that Israel was ravished, dear Lord God, and this text has remained with us today. Help us to understand, dear Lord, why your word speaks into our lives today and why we ought to obey it. Father, help me, help us all, that we might learn and grow from this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Um, it's just a demonstration. It's just something that I hope that you will captivate in your heart because in that sense, someone could be sitting down and still be standing up to the attention of the word. But sometimes it's just good to demonstrate to people what it is to stand and keep your attention on the word. This is the most important aspect of it. The explaining, again, is, is something that by virtue of the Old Testament, even a donkey could do. But the word stands true. 
Supplementary to this text, I want us to consider um, Hebrews 11.4, and I'm just going to read it out to you. You can write it in your notes if you need to, but uh, I think it's important to understand the context of, of, of this particular incident in the greater revelation, especially as you come into the New Testament. And it says, by faith, Abel offered, this is Hebrews 11.4, sorry. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being still dead, speaks. 1 John 3.12 also says this about this this incident. Not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Why start in the Old Testament? Why teach from the Old Testament? Why even start here? Because we can talk about so many of the issues of the world today that sometimes the only way really to communicate to this world about what really is going on is to actually look at what happened from the beginning. Genesis 3 shows us the fall of two people. But then Genesis 4 begins to show how that's outworking into the greater family of God. Both of these brothers have knowledge of God, but one is righteous and one is not. What is difficult to talk about today in the world is the fact that we are all plagued by sin. This is the reason why as, as via the illustration I gave you, the pessimism that we all, that lingers throughout society, even in a rich society like ours in the nation of the UK, is that we all know that there are problems in the world. But we have a diminishing understanding of sin. The world basically doesn't want to acknowledge that there's something wrong with it. Hence, they try to create the humanistic platform that we don't need God, we can make it better ourselves. Hence, there is something telling, as I said, about the show Fargo, which actually says something to the contrary. Why even bother try? Why? What are we trying to accomplish? It's just the way it is. This is why we're here in Genesis 4. This is why we are here, because we have sin in our lives. When we compare this text to Romans 1 and and Ephesians 1 about the knowledge that the world has of God, that it chooses to blot him out, we suddenly realize that the issue is not that we have a lack of knowledge, but that morally we do not regard God. The difference between Cain and Abel is one regarded God and the other didn't, even though they both had knowledge of him. The difference between you, the church today, is that you have knowledge of God and have regard for him, and you live in a world which wants to do the right thing but has no regard for God. That's what the church is. You know... um, Some of what Martin Luther, the reformer from the 1600s, has really helped as well, trying to kind of picture the responsibility that we have as a church today. And and recently having to kind of write 
quite extensively about his life and his view of what the church ought to be. We have, um, I guess, what I, I would call my title for today, um, the doctrine that he uses that before God and before the world. That there is a righteousness that we need to display before God and before the world. As I illustrated before, that, the, that those who kind of have a, a secular moralism that is a, a, a moral obligation that doesn't necessarily come from God, they believe that they just have a face before the world. I just need to do the right thing before you. And I just need to do right by all of you. As long as what I'm doing doesn't hurt you, it's all good. You know, me being homosexual doesn't hurt somebody else, so that's all good. Me choosing to want to remove all Christianity from the face of society actually does us all good, so that's fine. That's good. You can have your private religion. So this is what secularism is. And this is why when we flip it the same side and say, do we actually endorse that? Do we now say to ourselves, I have a face towards God, but no face towards the world? Do we accept the secularist agenda? Have your private religion, but do no more. I think in so many ways we embrace it to the point where it becomes quite prevalent that I have my relationship with God, no one can test me. I know, we've, I know we've been there because I have been there. It doesn't really matter. It's only between me and God. I think it is a flawed philosophy. It matters. The church matters. Our conduct, our ethic matters. So as much as we can point the finger at the secularist and says, look, you have your morals without a God, they can also point the finger at us and say, look, you have a God, but no morals. I don't see you doing anything. The need to act, and the truth is, is that we all actually do stuff. But when, I, when we're faced with the dilemmas that certain things that we have, we, you know, of, of, of kind of running on a deficit as a church and, 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 and struggling to, again, bring people in, you know, one of the last things I want to do is come up here and kind of labor a point. We've, we've kind of sailed through uh, so many excellent series that have kind of tried to illustrate what I'm trying to say in a very plain and matter-of-fact way. The church has a role. You know, we, we, we've heard it through God's healthy household. We, 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 we've heard it through First um, John and, and, and Second John and Third John about a duty that we have as a church. And no doubt, in so many ways, we contribute. And by no means, anything that I'm saying here is about how do I actually give more? I don't think it's about that. I don't think it's as simplistic as that. I believe that this being the Lord's church, 
this being a local body of God's universal church, not just geographically, but through time, that CCSL has its place within the body of God or the body of Christ. That our motivation in all that we do has to come from the gospel. I don't believe this is about how do I give more? How do I give more effectively? How do I use my time? I believe that this being the church of God, that God's hand is on his church and he will preserve it. His church means that he will provide through us all. And if there's any way in which we are actually missing the mark, it might actually be more so not through what we give, but how we give. As I alluded to, both Cain and Abel had knowledge of God. And I think this is why when they give, and, 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 I, and without really kind of wanting to kind of do a structured exegesis of the text, I just want to say it's a relief to some extent that there is no description as to why Cain's gift was rejected. What is interesting to note is that there is a double negative. It wasn't just that his gift was rejected, he was rejected as well. And on the basis of Abel, Abel's gift, Abel was accepted and Abel's gift was accepted. This is why I believe that Luther's understanding of the church's tension before God and before the world is so important. Why the prophets had to kind of labor the same point to Israel throughout its history when it constantly says, it's not your sacrifices that God wants, it's your obedience. There's so many texts we can go, but I think, you know what, let's start at the root. This is where it all began. Cain has knowledge of God, but he has no regard for God. This is the secular world out there that wants to give, but doesn't really care about how God accepts them. When you come to Abel, it is very different. Abel, as Hebrews 11.4 testifies, was acceptable to God, was righteous before God, therefore his gift was acceptable before God. When we start to run out of steam, and by way of illustration, when we begin, when we come to a point where the gospel is no longer inspiring what we give, we come to the same place where Israel was when the prophets had to remind them it was not about your sacrifices, it was about your obedience. You can't get cheerful giving, you can't get cheerful commitment if the gospel is not running your life, if you don't really believe that God is. You will give like the world gives. And you will come to a point, like our man in the illustration, where he says, 
It's all lost. Why bother? It's not changing. No doubt this kind of manifests itself in dwindling commitments. These are things that we have to talk about as a church. Dwindling attendance. Because we come to those points where we start to run on empty. And you're giving before the world is no longer centered on your face before God. It is no longer gospel-centric. There is no longer giving from obedience. We are only giving from ourselves. I declare to you today that like Cain, we give bad offerings in that regard. Why do we need to be gospel-centered? We have Christ as our leader, as our God, as our king, as our savior. And he demonstrates the gospel through Gethsemane, the cross, and then in triumph, the resurrection. We give not in light of the leadership that is locally before us or the members beside us. We give on the basis of Christ's sacrifice. Paul has to remind the Corinthians about this, that that he never saved them. Paulus never saved them. Peter never saved them. There's no point looking to leadership and for that leadership to be perfect in order to understand what your commitment to the world is. Gospel-centric giving is based on Christ alone, not on the faithfulness of leadership or members. In that regards, no one ever gives purely to a church. No one ever purely gives to their local community. A sacrifice to the Lord is always a sacrifice to the Lord. If it's gospel-centric. If you know why you're giving it. How does this plan out in the scope of daily life? This means that we have to give gospel-centrically, not just to our church, but to wherever we do in the week. Our workplaces, our schools, 
our colleges, our communities, our homes. That everything is done as unto the Lord. Everything. You are never purely given on the merit of the person who is before you. You know, one of the one of the kind of issues that we we, we again why we why we start to, to struggle. Um, again, uh, I, I kind of referenced Malachi 1 here, which kind of helped this insight about we, we start to give, if the gospel isn't centered, if Christ isn't centered on, on, on all that we do, um, like Malachi 1 this, this kind of clearly demonstrate, demonstrates is that we start to give God the leftovers. Um, you know, Malachi illustrates that we start bringing him maimed sheep and, and um, you know, God even forbid sheep that already died accidentally. This is what our lack of commitment to our face before the world might look like. We start dishing out the leftovers. I come and I'm committed once I've done everything else that I really need to do. And this is why it's quite a painful thing to have to come before you and say. Because we know that there are times where we all give leftovers. Our bums on these seats sometimes are leftovers. Our offerings are leftovers. Our commitments and duties are leftovers. You know, and that's why I said it's never about quantity. You know, I referenced the the widow's two mites for you. It's gospel faith giving. It's all I have, but you know what? I'm going to give it. It's my tired self, but you know what? I'm going to give it. It's my last fiver, but I'll give it. I really don't have much time, but you know what? I'm going to give it. Because Christ came and died for me. <laughs> you know, that's, that is why when you get the gospel, your face before God right, if you believe that Christ came and died, when you understand the, 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 the kind of the magnitude of the gift, that is right. The, 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 the believer that is centered on that will always have a good ethic. Because they already realize they can't outgive God. They really they already realize that their life is forfeit. Romans 12:1. Now, therefore, having understood this great salvation. 
My life is forfeit. Romans 12.1. That's, that's the logic. The therefore. Therefore. This is yours, Lord. And we ought not to crumble. Because so great is our saviour. You know, to kind of... Um, kind of switch gears slightly and kind of look at this from a, from a local perspective to what, 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 I, what, do we, what does this mean for maybe all of us in this building today? Who may not be a member of CCSL, but a member elsewhere. Who may not even be a believer. Genesis 4 clearly shows us that the issue of sin has not been sideswept through um, a century, namely uh, the last one, the 20th century, where we've had mass, um, m- massive leaps in technological process where uh, at least we here in the, the kind of wealthy West have learned how to make enough food for ourselves so that we probably will never ever have a famine. That has not eradicated sin. That has not eradicated the fact that we are in a world that is completely fallen. We are not immune from depraved desires and, 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 and horrendous things which, even though we, we, we try to categorize so many sins already and actually make them okay, that we have not got to the point where we can actually do that with everything. We don't have a category for the psychotic killer. We don't have a category which kind of helps us understand the place of cancer in our lives. It still kills. It still makes us wonder, have we really actually made that much progress? So to those who do not know this, sin is the issue. And not so much the sin that there is so, many, so much evil in the world, but namely that because we actually don't acknowledge God. That's the first sin. The first sin that is continually perpetuated throughout the histories, even to this day, is a secular one. The marginalization of God. And though it might seem like it was a gradual process... We have come to the point where I don't mind having him on the side to the atheist plea today, which is like, I don't even believe he ever existed. This is what's wrong with the world today. Not cancer, not psychotic killers. The fact that we don't believe that God is there. The fact that we, we try to make the world a better place. We give, we make our sacrifices, but not in faith. And we wonder, as per my illustration at the beginning, why we're not actually making a difference. If you're in that position today, can I give you a word of discouragement and a word of encouragement? This world will never be the way 
you think it could be. You can think of the most idealistic way in which this world can actually be, be perfected with all tolerance and all pluralism and you'll never accomplish it. Because as long as it's not gospel-centered, it will never happen. To add to that, if you do not align yourself with Christ, you will never see a world like that. The world to come, the world that will be, or as the theologians will put it, the now and the not yet. We live in the kingdom, but the kingdom will still come. And this leads to the good news, is that hope for a better world, hope that everything I do now actually makes a difference, comes through a God-centered sacrifice. Again, as we think of that illustration at the beginning, you know, we can quite clearly picture Christ's declaration that what does it profit a man to give, to gain everything? Or even in this position, to give everything and lose his soul. Nothing is gained. You know, Peter Mile, writing about evolution, makes this point. And again, uh, this is only just to quote my own source. He says, the problem is not that people do not know the truth about God, but that they do not want to know the truth. In other words, the problem is moral, not intellectual. The problem is sin, not lack of knowledge. The underlying pessimism that we see today is the reminder that sin is still present in the world. For all the great moments we can have, even on the sunny days like they've had been, you know, at some point, the pessimistic tone will come back into our lives. A bill will somehow come under the door, which come through our letterbox, which we, we can't actually afford, or, you know, some relative will be grievously ill. May lose our jobs unfairly. We may suffer from a disease that the doctor tells us you have no answers for, just have to tolerate with. And so we are constantly reminded that for as good as life can be, it will never be perfect. You know, the fall, um, and this is by way of trying to help those who who have probably looked for a number of solutions. And if you're here today and, you know, you've kind of given Christianity a try, you know, having kind of looked at various other things, and I know when, I'm, when I had left uh, my parents and I had kind of gone out into the world and thought, kind of, let me try and find my feet and, you know, kind of looking at various different faiths, uh, you know, I, I think I particularly uh, looked at the nation of Islam and... and uh, fundamentally tried to look for hope elsewhere and couldn't find it because if there's one thing I can kind of 
I want to communicate to you today, if you are in that position where you are, you are still searching, is that um, the fall, as we kind of witness the effects of in, in Genesis 4, has a domino effect. And the domino effect is, is, is like this, is that the rejection of God meant that man was displaced from his God. In other words, his knowledge of God was no longer perfect. He knew it was there, but struggled to relate to him, which is where so many of us, even as believers, can still find ourselves today. That is the ongoing effects of sin. Why we might struggle with our prayer life, why we might struggle. The reason why agnostics agnostics and atheists say, well, there's no visible proof of God because we think that that's the only way I can believe in a God. So because that has been shattered, and because he is not just God who sits there, but he is the creator God, not an impersonal big bang, but a a God with a person a personality that has created a moral universe. We have lost not only touch with who God is, but who we are. So you may have grown up and have struggled with the effects of peer pressure. I need to find a way of fitting in. I need to actually figure out who I am. Maybe I need an earring. Maybe I need to cut my hair. Maybe I need to grow my hair. Maybe I need to wear less clothes. Maybe I need to wear more clothes. Maybe I need to wear this brand as opposed to that brand. Maybe I'll wear no brands. All these things are searches for our old identity today. And they leave us decidedly empty. Even if we're wealthy and we're successful at creating an image for ourselves. That pessimism still creeps in at some point. The knowledge of sin. But that's not it. The domino effect continues. And it continues to the point where not only do we not know God... We struggle to identify who we are. We now struggle with identifying our place amongst other people. We we are unable to relate to other people. And this is where Genesis 4 becomes quite prominent. Brothers, some even suggest probably twins... One decides to kill the other. We fail to acknowledge the image of God in another person because we are already obscuring that image of God, not only for ourselves, but also for someone else, where someone's life can be cheap. In the context of of normal street fuggery, the whole idea of creating a name for myself means that actually stabbing somebody so that I can continue in my self-respect actually means very little now amongst certain people. But again, 
For us, we're horrified. On the larger scale, we see that in the context of war, where life now no longer has a name anymore, it just has a title of collateral damage. We no longer respect human life in that sense. But this doesn't just happen in the horrors of war and horrors of street fuggery. It happens in clinics, hospitals, where euthanasia and abortions are life. How can, we, how can we define it? It's lost its meaning. So we look at somebody else and figure, I don't benefit if I give what they deserve. So we've lost our ability to relate to each other. But it doesn't stop there either. The fool meant that our Face before God, our understanding of God has been marred, our understanding of ourselves has been marred, our appreciation for the other person has been marred, but it goes one step further because now that we're in a creation, a world that he has created, what Romans says also kind of gives us evidence that he is the creator God, the unity of creation. The world in which we live in is abused by us. To the point where we don't see the logic of trying to preserve something for a future generation as well. We kind of marginalize scientists who who kind of have the speculation that we're actually destroying ourselves through the way that we produce everything that we use. So our relationship to creation has been severely marred as well. The fall, by definition, is catastrophic. The removal of God has meant that we have lost everything. And every attempt that you make to fix your life without addressing the fundamental issue, which is the place of God within his creation and the obligation of the created to worship the creator, if you are unable to address that, first and foremost, you will accomplish nothing you will do many good things, I'm sure. You may raise good families and, 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 and give them a loving home and, and provide um, comfort to those who struggle, but without God, as I spoke to the church, now I speak to you, without God, it will be like Cain's sacrifice. It will not be regarded. It cannot be regarded. 
The presence of sin is here because we had no and have no regard for God. If we as a church, as we start to kind of wind up, I guess I'll invite the band and, uh, to kind of assemble. As we look at, as a community and a church that has a role to play, we realize that we have an ethical duty that has to be rooted in our relationship with God. Everything we give through the knowledge of Christ's death and resurrection, the fact that he came when he didn't need to come. He didn't, like the Pope, sit from heaven and absolve us from a distance. He is not just the transcendent God, but the imminent God as well. The God that was with us, hence the name Emmanuel. God with us. Can I direct us as a church and and those who, who, who do not yet know the Lord to that person of Christ? I'm not going to create a historic scene and, and try to describe what it was like to live in Galilee. I'm not going to try to give a description of his life. By all means, I believe that the Spirit of God, being present, speaks to our hearts today and gives us all the details we need. For us as a church, let's get gospel-centered. You know, the time of prayer and fasting is, 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 is an opportunity for us to realign ourselves with that principle, with that fundamental principle, that the church, we are called by God as a community to have faith in him before anybody else. We are not here for merely for one another, I would say, but primarily for God so that everyone can actually benefit from our lives. For those who want to try a different path, want to try and see if the Lord is good, as the, the psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Spirit of the Lord is calling your heart today. Respond to it. Consider that the underlying pessimism that we, 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 we constantly have nagging at our heels is not just merely some kind of reality of life coming in and, 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 and trying to awaken us, but is actually the call of God to remind us that we're in a world that has chosen to reject him. Respond. You don't need to respond by doing anything over, but respond firstly by praying and saying, Lord, speak. Speak into my life. Read his word. Let that guide your thoughts. Let it guide what you believe. Seek a church. Seek a place. Seek another believer that can help you come to fully understand who Christ is in your life. Who could he, or even who he could be in your life. As a church, let us be welcoming. Let us be faithful 
And let us be gospel-centered. Let's pray. Father, these are your great people. And Lord, no doubt, amongst us there are those who have been clearly called their Lord God. And they don't suffer the faith, their Lord of Cain. They're not going to be rejected, their Lord God. But like even as we see in the lives of the apostles and even the faithful Lord God, who, who Hebrews 11 testifies of, their Lord God, none of these people were perfect people who acted flawlessly, Lord God. They doubted. But Lord, they had faith. They knew that their Redeemer lived. They knew that you were a good God. And Lord, no doubt, the called the and the chosen amongst us know you're a good God. But the realities of life chip away at that, though, Lord, and, and make us doubt. And we struggle sometimes to come to that full knowledge of who you are. And we do. We are running on empty and we give for our own soul and not for our faith in you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, because we have been wrong and not because you have wronged us, but because we stopped looking to you. Father, we need you. Not just in this time of prayer and fasting there, Lord God. Not just to kind of see us through a difficult time as a church. But Lord, we need you forever. We need you, Father, Lord, to bring that reality of eternity to our lives now. The kingdom has come. And your spirit is with us, Lord. The church lives. And Lord, we need to respond. We do so need to respond to you, Lord. Help us, I pray. To live faithful lives before you. Amen. find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.